jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. You are listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. This is Laura Craven. The following episode is part one of our two-part Los Angeles special featuring the Southern California properties of Johnny Carson. On this episode, we speak with Mark Malkoff, the host of the wildly popular Carson podcast, a treasure trove of hundreds of interviews with Carson's friends, family, guests, and associates. Part two of this special, episode 14, features my exclusive interview with Ed Niles, the architect of the spectacular estate where Johnny Carson lived the last 20 years of his life, an architectural masterpiece located high on a bluff on Point Doom in Malibu, California, originally designed by Ed Niles in 1978. And now, part one of our Los Angeles special on Johnny Carson's properties, featuring my interview with Johnny Carson expert, Mark Malkoff. This is Laura Craven with Los Angeles on the JasonCharles.net podcast network. Today, my very special guest is Mark Melkoff, creator of CarsonPodcast.com. Welcome, Mark. Laura, thank you so much for being here. This is great because I get interviewed, um, you know, from time to time. And uh, what we're going to be talking about is something I, I don't think I've ever talked about. So um, I'm looking forward to this. Interesting. Well, I can start off by saying you have the preeminent Johnny Carson podcast on the internet. I don't think there's anything else that even comes close. So although today we're going to be focusing on Johnny's properties in Los Angeles, I know that I can learn a lot from you based on your encyclopedic knowledge of the man and his career. It's pretty impressive. I didn't mean for this to happen. I really thought it would last like maybe a couple months at the most, but seven years and 334 episodes later and over 300 people that knew the man that worked on the show here we are but yeah i've 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 definitely have a grasp on on where his properties where he would hang out in los angeles where he would hang out in, in, in malibu where his in retirement where he would be so uh, this will be fun right exactly well i know i have a lot to learn from you and perhaps i can give you a little insight on the architectural parts that um that I became aware of while researching his home high up on that bluff in Point Doom. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I did want to mention before we leap into that, you've done a lot of really great projects that are unique and novel. You're a writer, and I have to say, I would encourage anyone to check out markmalkoff.com because that is where you can get the links to your YouTube videos for uh, the Apple Store Challenge, A Month in Ikea. Very interesting, very unique. I, I laughed. I really, really appreciated those, Mark, and liked them. Oh, thanks. Yeah, um, it's all about my following my curiosity. Would it be able to bring a goat into the Apple store? Uh, would Ikea let me stay over for a week and give it to me? And the answer on both is yes. And then the Carson thing, same way. It was just, I had so many questions about this, about the show and him. And right. there was no information, which is why I started the podcast. Exactly. And now you've given the world these amazing interviews. I have to say the guest list is quite impressive. But I wanted to get into um, 
were you always a Johnny Carson fan? I mean, certainly you're too young to really have been a part of his audience in the 70s and 80s. I, you know what it was, what it was is I was more when I was a kid from like when I was five years old, my dad introduced me to classic entertainment. So like I was five years old watching It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, Stanley Kramer. So like I knew who all these people were from like when I was five and six watching Mel Brooks movies. So, um, you know, my dad, when I, I think I was like six or something like that, let me stay up for the first time and watch Carson on a Friday. And it was just like this party. And it was just there's something about him being so likable to the A-list movie stars, to, to kids, to, you know, people that weren't famous. And I just fell in love with the show and the guest and the glamour and just everything that went a- along with it. So yeah, then I started, um, as I got older, just started and watch the show as much as possible. And then he retired. And then that's when I was just able to, to kind of uh, delve in deeper and, and, and really try to figure out things um, ab- about how the show was put together. It just took a long, long time for me to get some answers. Yeah, so it was just a lot of research and you're self-educated with all of this. I, I can't imagine how, if there wasn't a lot of information out there, you must have had to, you know, kind of go far and wide and, and learn I, about him. It definitely, a lot of knocking on doors, lots of talking to people that just trusted me that knew I had no agenda. I mean, a lot of the, some of the Carson stuff has been negative and stuff. And it's the first time that his friends and pe- for the most part, friends and uh, people that loved him, coworkers and stuff have talked about him. And it's, it's the portrayal is, is by overwhelmingly positive right. uh, kindness. Right. And this, it's really the first time um, that this has been, the side has been shown of him. So uh, I have definitely learned a lot and the audience has been nice to, uh, to follow me through this journey. Right. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm learning a lot of that too, that he was just a real human, very authentic, very generous. And, um, you know, yeah, there is some negative stuff out there as there is with any celebrity. It's just part of the, Mm -hmm. you know, part of their whole scene is the good and the bad. Sure. And regarding the guests that, that you get and you're learning so much from, I mean, some of these names are extremely impressive, Mark. How is it that you go about just even finding out how to contact them and asking them to be on your podcast. I'm talking about like Carl Reiner and uh, Dick Cavett, Carol Burnett. I mean, incredible. Um, it's, it's a lot of working with, with Google and trying to find out the personal assistance names and um, occasionally even the old uh, method of sending letters to, to, to people and um, just trying to get to them away from the representation. But even with their representation, I have to say the reason I've gotten so many big people and uh, that have talked to me is not because they like me. I hope they do like me because going on Johnny Carson and and him, it's basically the equivalent of somebody had this amazing college experience, but they never get to talk about it in length. So you have all these people that might've been asked Carson maybe a few times, like for like a minute or two, but for them to talk about it at length is something they've never gotten to do. And it is really going back to this time where for a lot of people, I mean, it, 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 they changed, it, their lives changed. So it, it's de- definitely something when we have people that rarely or never do interviews when they're saying yes to me, it's, it's, it's 100% a, a, about Johnny. But I have learned how to get pretty good uh, to get to the people, get to the assistants and just uh, kindly present my invitation in front of them. 
Yeah, well, you definitely are skilled with that because quite an array of people. And like you're saying, it's it's a really great trip down memory lane for them, I'm sure. And when you're referencing someone who might not be interviewed a lot, I have to say I really enjoyed your episode with Carol Silverman, who oh, yeah. she you know began as an NBC page and was just so sweet and humble. And she actually built up quite a good career for herself, like leaping off from there. Yeah, I would have. I just loved this non-celebrity take on what it was like to work there. I can't tell you how much, how many emails and messages I get from people telling me it's great when you have the Mel Brooks on or Carol Burnett, but, uh, but uh, I would say most of the mail that comes in or most of the emails are people that are like, we just love the background, the people that weren't necessarily famous behind the scenes, but worked at Carson, the Tonight Show, or just yeah, just people at NBC Burbank or in New York when they did this show from 62 to 72 in New York City. And um, yet they've, they've, I think that they've become my favorite guests too, just because I learned yeah. the, the most and they, you know, they were there. So. Right. And they're, yeah, yeah they lived that behind the scenes life. Exactly. How, are, how else are we ever going to learn that? Yeah. But one I loved after Charles Grodin died, you replayed oh. your episode with him and I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yes. And um I really appreciated how you noted it was his first podcast ever. He was nice. He told me it was. Um, I, I spoke with him twice and I sat down and I, I just was thinking about this the other day. It was like kind of point of pride that he hadn't been to Los Angeles since I think it was like 94 or 93. He would always tell me when people uh, contacted his agent for movie or TV, his first question is like, um, how close is it to my house in Connecticut? And he just wouldn't point of pride go back to LA, even though he spent so many years there. I don't know. So mm-hmm. I'm, it was good getting together with him. Yeah, but, no, he was dedicated yeah. East Coaster, as you are. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but I love, I go out to Los Angeles. Like, I love when I'm out there, so. Right, well, I hope that, you know, perhaps next time you're out here. Oh we my can, goodness. We could do another interview. That would be great. Absolutely, that would be fun. Yeah, I'm enjoying and, and I wanted to, to ask you, I read that you had worked for a time on the Colbert Report. Oh yeah, and now he is, he takes a seat at the late night table currently. Yes. So, yeah. um, what is your what's your feeling about the current crop of of late night hosts? It's just completely different. I mean, nobody has ever been number one uh, on, on late night and been taking a strong political stance. Um, and yeah, I mean, Carson certainly was against Vietnam and was didn't like Nixon, but nobody ever knew his political stand. I mean, he was definitely left um, and he had these beliefs, but he just thought that people wanted to be entertained at 1130 and didn't want anything heavy. And, uh, you know, just things have changed. I mean, uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon is the one show that doesn't really do um, take a, a strong uh, political view. And. Uh, I, I can't, it's it's really hard to to think about that just the people that have taken the political views have been the number one rated people. I just, I guess it's just a different world. Yeah. There's so many There's, people that are doing them. I think um, Stephen Colbert, in terms of interviewing him and Seth Meyers, I think are the closest to Carson. Like Stephen Colbert, especially, they listen to their guests. They let their guests speak a lot. And, um, you know, Carson could sing, Colbert can definitely do the sketches and sing. So I think he's maybe the closest, except that he takes a political stance. But, you know, I, I just was behind the scenes at Colbert's job. I didn't have a creative job, but he was always wonderful to me. I, I look back at those three months or three years and eight months, and I just marvel at some of the stuff that um, that we were able to, that I was able to experience over there. Very nice man. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and very high quality output for sure. Yeah. Well, let's leap into his Los Angeles holdings out here. Mm-hmm. He first came to Los Angeles in 1972, as you mentioned. And he and his wife, Joanne, they bought a home on St. Cloud in Bel Air, which eventually went to her in the divorce. Mm-hmm. New they- York, he was in the UN Plaza building. And then they moved to when they moved to Burbank, they were in Bel Air. Um, right. So this would be that house. It's on St. Cloud Road in Bel Air and um, high up in the hills. It had seven be- bedrooms and 11 bathrooms. I mean, it must have been, you know, extremely opulent. And unfortunately, there was a fire there in 2012. So I'm sure it's, you know, it's come back, but it did suffer that. And that's mm-hmm. that's unfortunate. But yeah, beautiful home up there in Bel Air. It was built in 1950. And this was the house that after Johnny moved out, um, Joanna, being good friends with Truman Capote, gave him a room to write in while while he was oh, there. Wow. And I found that very charming. In my yeah, mind. Truman Capote went on the show with Carson a lot and definitely um, yeah, was a fixture on that show. And they lived in the same building in New York, the UN Plaza, for, for quite a, a, a while. One thing I wanted to mention, um, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is when, before Carson got moved um, in 72, he actually went out there from n- Nebraska and he was, at, he was living in Encino and his home, he, he bought, it was either the former home of Johnny Cash. It was either Johnny Cash moved into the home or it was Johnny Cash's former home and he was in Encino. And he just, when he was, he was doing the Johnny Carson show um, for CBS and had a show called Carson Cellar. Um, it's CBS and both just did not last very long. And Carson was, did a show in Bakersfield to try to get up his career and his agents, like everybody turned his back and that's why he, he left to go to New York. Um, wow. But I think he was happiness 100% um, when he was, when he was in, in LA. Right. Yeah, no, he definitely became a fixture here. I know there's a part of New York that could claim him for sure, but I think that, um, you know, he's definitely looked upon as um, one of LA's great, legacies 100 percent. i mean malibu and stuff for sure if you google him in malibu all the the places that he went monroe's was one of his favorite and just everything that he did for for, for malibu is pretty incredible with just privately um helping people with charity that he didn't want the stuff acknowledged right yeah he was that kind of charitable giver he would you know give anonymously or just yeah extremely generous and yeah, so I want to mention Johnny's introduction into Malibu was a, a house right on the beach on Carbon Beach on Pacific Coast Highway. And he lived there for a few years, I think maybe five after his divorce from Joanna. He left the Bel Air home and lived on the sand before purchasing the bluff top home in Point Doom. And it was here at this beach house that he met Alexis as she was walking along in front of his home on the sand. And I'm not quite sure how the story goes. I think she was carrying two uh, wine glasses and perhaps she knew that he lived there. Anyway, he was out on the balcony, he saw her, he offered to bring down some wine to fill the glasses with. And they dated for a couple of years before they got married. And um, and although he had a beach house in Malibu, mm-hmm. his his real, place to just go and and be on his own and be one with nature was his bluff top home on point doom which i had the opportunity to interview the architect ed niles who designed who designed that home and 
you know, they just worked together for years to make sure that there were appointments and details everywhere that Johnny wanted. And, you know, it just became the place that he wanted to be and lived there until he died in 2005. But um, back to that beach house, one thing when I did Google it, because I had the address, I can see um, it is one of these teardowns. You know, it was, he lived in the original house, I believe that was built in 1931, but, you know, there was just this massive land grab in Malibu in the 80s and 90s. And a lot of people were just tearing down houses and building back these McMansions that, you know, unfortunately, I know they just cost the world, but a lot of times they have very generic design going on and, you know, nothing like really, really special. Obviously, with Johnny's draw to that home on the bluff was that it was incredibly unique, you know, triangular shaped. And yeah, I wanted to know if in your, you know, in your speaking with the guests and other people, had you interviewed people that had been there, had actually spent time there? There was a whole tennis pavilion yeah. adjacent to the property. So. That's an excellent question. Yes, I had talked to a bunch of people um, that were there. Um, Bob Newhart's never been a guest, but famously when he first saw the home, he, had, he asked Johnny, he said, where's the gift shop? Because it was so big and, and everything. But yeah, I mean, the final show on May 22nd, 1992, he had his entire staff to his Malibu home. They had the Les Brown Orchestra play where the tennis court was. But um, yeah, I mean, he definitely had friends over like Rickles. He had people like, yeah, Newhart over. I mean, his tennis partners would be like Ricardo Montalban lived right near there and he would come over and stuff. And he would definitely have like Jerry Weintraub was also in Malibu and they would play tennis together. He was um, in retirement, especially taking magic lessons and would have magicians come over that, that had been on The Tonight Show. And even when he was at the show, he would have magicians sometimes because Carson was, you know, did uh, sleight of hand and other. Um, right. He would definitely have people over there. Like him and Doc Severinsen were good friends. They would go on vacation together. So not so much Ed McMahon. They were like friends back in the 60s more. But um, but Johnny definitely had people over. And at the same time, he just like he liked his alone time for sure. But he definitely he had um, he was friends with somebody named, um, named Howard Smith who lived in Malibu, who's not showbiz at all, and he would spend time at Carson's house. So it was definitely this impressive place, and the view, and and then the you know the ocean and stuff. It was it was absolutely yes. breathtaking, and it was definitely um, a place where Carson could feel comfortable and be himself. Yeah, now I can see that he really took the time to design, especially the outdoor features for entertaining. Yes. So that, you yeah, know, there yeah. were beautiful pathways with kind of, mm -hmm. you know, woodlands around them almost. Yeah. And you could just like stroll and, mm -hmm. and walk. And like you're saying, it was so awesome. The bluff in front of that house is 90 yeah. feet high. Yeah. And um, one of the anecdotes that Ed told me yesterday is when the storms were coming in and the waves were really, really rolling, you could see even at 90 feet up the sea spray coming up through those living room windows, which were floor to ceiling glass. And the ceiling in part of the living room was actually glass at 30 feet high. I recall the um, architect saying to me, even, you know, during rainstorms, the glass was so thick, you couldn't hear the rain. That's incredible. An incredible and an engineering feat, for yeah. sure. I would never have guessed that. I, you know, Sidney Kimmel, who's a film producer, I wrote him a bunch of years ago. He sold it in the last year or two of the home, and I asked him if I could come over and check it out. And he basically said, by, by now, right now, there's, there isn't a lot 
of, of things that really um, originally were created for the home, um, which I thought was, you know, if he doesn't, that, that's, I get that, that's probably true. I don't think he probably um, wanted somebody he didn't know maybe hanging out at his home, but um, I explained yeah. I the Carson project and stuff. And he was nice to write me a letter and explain it, but um, yeah, the place is, I mean, it's from the pictures I've seen and what you've seen, um, it, it was incredible. Um, yeah, I have creation. to agree. That I'm really glad that I got to see the pictures of what the interior was like yeah. when Johnny lived there because mm -hmm. he, you know, the decor totally went with the style of the home and the time that it was. He had these great 70s, you know, couches and chairs and it was just, you know, wood paneled ceilings in his office and really great. And from what I understand, yes, the interior design is nothing like that anymore. Yeah. And it's too bad that it you know, it couldn't be preserved to the integrity of, you know, the design, the way it was built. Yeah, things change. He had his drum kit there. He loved playing the drum, his drums. And um, yeah, definitely uh, he, a huge reader um, right. as well. So, I mean, he did the place had everything for him. Huge library. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely. nothing really showbiz. There was like, from the people I talked to, he was one of those people that just had so many other interests like True. astronomy, for example, and he didn't have, like there's some famous people I've been to that just have everything from the careers up and some people that just don't have anything. He was one of those people that right. just, you kind of looked down a little bit of people that were entirely show business. Like Bob Hope right. was all about entertainment. There's like nothing else really mm -hmm. apparently in his life. And Carson was just like, I, I, he just was the complete opposite. Even yeah. though he loved entertainment and he loved, um, entertaining people he just in his in his private life especially he just was you know yeah no so true i mean what i've come yeah. to learn of course an amazing tennis player he loved <laughs> yeah. to travel the world his yacht was called the serengeti because right. love of africa and yeah so i i can appreciate that a very varied interest person um and in addition to you know his love for that property he was really loyal to other los angeles properties like he would eat at the same restaurants constantly all the time there was um mateo's who i think was um owned by some kind of mob adjacent friend that that, that johnny ate at all the time that was a restaurant in uh westwood and then um there was a deli that he went to all the time i believe it was in burbank and near the studio and the name of that, perhaps Shotzi's. Oh yeah, I mean he up so Shotzi's on Maine was was right oh, owned by Arnold. That's right. That's not the deli. It was owned by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's but right. You're right. There's so many places that Carson frequented. But in Santa Monica, when he retired, they had an office in this complex, and Arnold Schwarzenegger within the complex had a restaurant, Shotzi's on Maine, and Carson would go to lunch there a lot. And sometimes Arnold Schwarzenegger would be there and they'd kind of tease each other. Like Arnold would be like the rent check was a little late last month, Johnny and stuff like that. But uh, that was definitely um, kind of um, what the media put out there was the Carson in retirement was like never went out. It was private, which was simply not true. Right. It sounds like he spent yeah. a lot of time in Santa Monica. He was out and about. I mean, he was definitely in Marina Del Rey with his yacht, the Serengeti. And he had uh, people that would come on. He'd invite people on for lunch. Um, he would. He was really happy with 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 his book, but he was around. I mean, um, I sat down with Wolfgang Puck, and you know Carson I mean, loves Fagos. I mean, the original location, especially and um, on Sunset. Was, yeah, yeah, and and um, Wolfgang Puck told me Carson 
was 100% responsible for his line of frozen pizzas because Carson would come in and order them. And um, Wolfgang Puck was like, why are you ordering? Like, just, you order so many pizzas. Like, are you having a party? He's like, no, I freeze them. And Wolfgang Puck was taken aback and be like, wait, what? And was kind of like a little bit offended. And Carson explained that they taste so good and he would do that. And that led Wolfgang Puck. Um, That's amazing. That. Yeah, but and that became such a successful line for him. Yes, yes. So I was really interested. And like a lot of times after the Oscars, because, you know, Johnny hosted the Oscars five times. Mm-hmm. Um, he They would have an after party and the Spago Swifty Lazar which a lot oftentimes throw this party. So he, Carson would be there at Spago's. Yeah, no, that would be the place to be. I think the the after Oscar party location has shifted over the years, but I but I know that Spago is definitely the place for several years and um, because of Carson, I'm sure. So I wanted to mention also in the people that you interview, I was listening to a Mark Marin interview the other day, William Zabka from Cobra Kai and Karate oh, yeah. Kid. And he uh-huh. happened to mention that his father, Stan Zabka, was an assistant director or um, I believe that was. Yeah. Or he was a staff person on The Tonight Show in New York in some way. And I with this interview coming up, I just thought what are the odds like the small world because i didn't even know who william zabko was before that and now it yeah Yeah. it just all kind of comes full circle yeah stan zabko was on the podcast um a long long time ago yeah he was at the tonight show i I think from like 62 to maybe 64 66 Mm -hmm. and then his wife that's how he met his wife nancy right and um i think it was like the earliest color episode full-length episode of the tonight show was, was when he was on and he recorded in color because um, I think by that point, it still wasn't officially in color, but he had somebody at NBC do it. And the vast majority of those shows from 62 to 72 were erased. Um, and to Carson was so furious when he found out. But yeah, that's funny yeah. that um, that you just heard that in Carson's Right. Name. And then it all like out. comes together like that. Yeah. But yeah, he told that story yeah. too, I believe, yeah. about how um, NBC, they used to use those tapes, tape over them to tape That's other right. shows, which is, you know, at this point where everything is digitized and preserved forever, it's just unimaginable that yeah. they would, they would they, do that. They didn't see the value. And I talked to the guy, one of the two people that had to erase them. And he was like in his twenties and was like almost in tears. Yeah. When he, it was in New Jersey, NBC owned a property and he it was that and all these other treasures from NBC and, uh, and then Carson um, found out NBC erased them and was furious. And oh, then by God. that point, he moved to Burbank. So if you look at the anniversary show from 1972 in October, there are almost no clips because everything wow. was erased, which is why he, he, he just had to have, it was the only anniversary show where he really just had guests. Right. Him. So Back they could then, just Sherry talk Lewis, about Governor Ronald Reagan, who I think had just become governor, did a walk on. Nothing really political. Carson didn't shy away from that in Burbank for sure. Nothing political in terms of having political guests on, rather. But right. um, yeah, that was definitely um, definitely uh, an issue. With, with yeah, so sad. And, and obviously, why. Yeah. And, but, you know, owing to, because you have had some guests that are, you know, getting on in years. And so. Oh, my goodness. You know, I can't believe how many people have passed away. I yeah. It's heartbreaking. But oh, yeah. you have them, you know, recorded now, reliving yeah. those memories, even where the tape doesn't exist. So that's quite something. Yeah, I feel grateful uh, about that. But yeah, quite a, a few old, older people have been right. trying to do the show. And um, some of them just inspire me with their with their memories and how active they are. Like I would always tell Carter O'Reilly when I got together with him, 
that he's making people my age look bad. He'd always be right. writing in his 90s, all these books and these projects yeah. and stuff. And I'm just like, come on. Active and out there. It. Yeah, to put us yeah. on. Watching <laughs> Jeopardy, and it's Beverly Hills Home, watching Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune every night with Mel Brooks and keeping their minds sharp. And, that um, is so yeah. sweet. Yeah. Wow, that is really sweet. I wanted to to touch on um, the new CNN docuseries, the, mm -hmm. the story of late night. That's mm -hmm. kind of how you got onto my radar. Oh wow! And um, yeah, and I know they had you on. What what was that experience like being interviewed by them? And they were nice to ask me. I was the, actually the first person out of ninety nine people that they had to be interviewed, and they had like huge names. So I was honored that they thought of me. They did some interviews here in New York, and I was the first one. And um, it was one of those things where, again, I mean, I was like, am I even going to make the cut? You know, it's one of those things. I answer the questions and, uh, you know, people have said this and it's just, I don't really think about it, but I know more about Carson and his Tonight Show than anybody. I never tried to do it. It's just from doing this project, it's in my head and stuff. So they right. brought me in as kind of the Carson expert, which was very flattering, very nice. And, and um, true. Yeah, they, I thought that they did a really uh, great job. I mean, it's really hard telling the story of late night and six episode, but mm -hmm. I, I definitely think there was um, so much insight I I involved. And in terms of Carson, they had um, Peter LaSalle, who was Johnny's producer. They had his nephew, Jeff Sotsing, who was a producer on The Tonight Show. It was just nice they brought me in, but it, one of those things, it, this coming October, it'll be three years since they interviewed me. So the thing was delayed for wow. like two years or something. So. It was kind of like a, uh, an inside joke with a lot of people that were involved. Like, is this thing ever going to come out? And right. It was, it's taken a while. Obviously, the pandemic delayed it. But, um, okay. I, you know, it's just one of those things. The timing was great when it finally came out and people seemed to really enjoy it. So I was, they were, I was flattered to be in three of the episodes. They were, that right. was very nice. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's just there's a vast amount of information. It had so many different iterations like the Joan Rivers situation yeah you know Lena Letterman I mean it's you know yeah, the stories it. run deep yeah definitely I, I I mean definitely if they did a little bit deeper I think that they could have even done like where the host would hang out like Carson loved Chasen's mm -hmm. he would go That's to Chasen's he loved the palm like his standard meal when he went out if they had it was steak and potatoes he's like this Nebraska guy very, very simple um, with, with, with his taste. Like for, in NBC Burbank, when he would go into work on Alameda, for many years, he would just bring a, a brown sack lunch. Um, he liked the smokehouse as well. He'd be over there. And, yeah, that um, was very close yeah, to the Burbank studio. Exactly, exactly to Burbank. And then a place that doesn't exist anymore, Sneaky Pete's, which was mm -hmm. this place that was, it was down from Whiskey A Go Go on the same block. But when Carson, they would actually come during the New York years from 62 to 72. They'd come sometimes once, twice a year. Um, and Johnny just loved coming out to, to, to LA because he, you know, he could be and drive himself around and not be noticed as, as, as much. Uh -huh. And the Sneaky Pete's, when they would be there from um, when they would come out, they would actually a lot of times close the place and Carson would bring out his drum kit. And, you know, when Carson was comfortable with the people and knew them, it was just. He would just, you know, have a really good time and be really loose. But when, but when he didn't know that people, I mean, he was, as Steve Martin said, one of the most famous people in America, he kind of had to self-preserve a little bit. Right. Didn't show that side to him as much. But yeah, exactly. Sneaky Pete's was one of his one of his favorite places. In, in, uh, that is great. Yeah, it sounds like um, the party was rolling quite a bit. Yeah, um, good. If it was the right people. Yeah. With them, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, yeah, I just loved um, 
you know, learning about those stories and oh yeah, how, you know, there'd be late nights and fun nights. And, oh yeah, yeah, it seemed, definitely. From this perspective, it seemed a little exhausting, but yeah, it's a lifestyle for sure. Yeah, I love learning about those places. And like Diane Cannon, who's been in LA for decades, would say that they she would have parties and like Carson would bring his drum kit, Dudley Moore would be on her <laughs> piano, and um, yeah, they would just have fun. But if Carson didn't know the people, he just you know, he just wasn't comfortable a lot of times in his poker game because he had the star-studded poker game in Los Angeles with like right. Steve Martin, Neil Simon, Chevy Chase, um, a bunch of people. And it would always be if he didn't, if, if he knew, if he didn't know one person, he would still go. But if it was more than one, he just wouldn't. So wow. Barry Diller was involved. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely this thing, even into retirement, they loved their their poker game. Nice. Yeah. So I could see that how he just couldn't feel like just free or comfortable enough to be himself. Yeah. If it was a room full of, yeah. of strangers mm -hmm. for him. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Mark, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I've learned so much and I'm, I'm just intrigued by your podcast. I'm going to become a loyal listener from now on. I would encourage anyone listening to go to carsonpodcast.com and choose from among the seven years of recordings to learn about Johnny, about The Tonight Show and about you too, Mark. Laura, I think you're doing an amazing job. And, and, and again, these are some things I've never been asked before. And I learned a lot about Carson, which is hard uh, for, 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 for me, um, like I don't find a lot of people after seven years that are teaching me things. So I'm grateful we got to do this. And again, I just think you're doing an amazing job. So um, thank you for, for asking me uh, to be on. Oh, yes. Yeah. Such a pleasure, Mark. And thank you. And this is Laura Craven for Los Angeles on the JasonCharles.net podcast network. You've been listening to part one of our Johnny Carson's Properties special featuring Johnny Carson expert, Mark Malkoff. For more information about Mark and the Carson podcast, visit carsonpodcast.com. For part two of the Los Angeles special on Johnny Carson's Properties, featuring my exclusive interview with Carson's Malibu-based architect, Ed Niles, Go to episode 14 of Los Angeles at jasoncharles.net, arts and culture channel, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've been listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.